Good morning. It's good to see you. We are in the middle of a series called Transformed, and I'm loving this series because I love practical Christianity. I love the real, the nuts and bolts of what we do because sometimes there can be this disconnect between these wonderful prayers that we pray and these wonderful scriptures and these bumper stickers that we have and these WhatsApps that we send and these emails that we send with all beautiful Christianese on, but actually the practical sometimes a little different to the stuff that we're sending. So I love this practical series because it goes to the core of who we really are and, and, and really what our Christianity is all about. And that is about being transformed more into the image of Jesus. So I am loving this series. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm going to trip over this thing, so if you don't mind, I'll do a bit of an aerobics workout here. Well, let me get my timer going. Okay, cool. So this morning I'm going to be speaking on how major events in our lives or the family of origin, the family that we grew up in, or the environments that we've been exposed to over the years have really shaped and influenced something of who we are. Um, of who we are today. But more importantly, I want to speak on how we don't have to be a victim of our past and how Jesus can redeem our past and give us a hope for the future, an incredible hope for the future. Now, I know for some of us to go into our past can be really scary um, and, and painful. Some of us can be hectic. I mean, we've had some hectic things um, happen to us, and I want to be sensitive to that um, about going into our past, and I want to ask your forgiveness up front now if I offend, because I've been told sometimes I, I can say things a little bit harshly, so please forgive me um, and just work with me on this one. But going into our past can be something that's often misunderstood, because we go there, and then what do we do once we've uncovered all this stuff? Um, now, there's been various approaches to this. Um, people may dwell on their past and just kind of walk with this like limp their whole lives. Or I don't know if you've ever got a stone in your shoe. Like you get a stone in your shoe, and each time you walk, it's like this thing of the past just speaking over you again, and you're reminded of this, and you're reminded of that each time you walk with this jolly stone in your shoe. So that's one option. Or we can just flat out deny our past because it's just too painful. We just don't want to go there, and we just stay away from it. But this morning, I would love for us to stop, to look at, look at our past, and ask God, how can he heal? How can he redeem? How can he break unhelpful patterns that perhaps we've picked up um, or that we've inherited? But more importantly, how can he give us a hope for our future? Our past has shaped our present, but it doesn't need to determine our futures. Now, I love stories because they illustrate a point so much better than a list. Maybe you, you, you learn by lists. I don't. I'm not that clever. I need stories. So um, stories, I think, illustrate something. But I just want to share a story of how Sonia's and my past affected how we went on holiday for the first time outside of our honeymoon. So my beautiful wife and I have been married for 12 years, together for 14. Um, and we went to this trip to Cape Town. Okay? And leading up to the trip, Sonia would bombard me with all sorts of questions. Do you have an itinerary, things to do when we get there? Day by day, hour by hour, something to do. Do you have directions to the hotel? Do you have an eating plan for when we're there? Have you checked in, and do you have a reservation, and do you have confirmation that they are actually expecting us at this hotel that we're going to be staying in? Have you packed an emergency kit bag? Have you packed general antibiotics, medication, in case we get flu, runny tummy, pneumonia, bronchitis, typhoid, Ebola virus... You get the point. Uh, these are all very legitimate questions that she was asking. Um, but the more, and no, the best one though is, do you have a tire in a can in case we get a flat tire on one of the wine farms and we need to pump up the tire in our loan car? I mean, anyway, I'm going somewhere with this. Just work with me. <laughs> They're all very legitimate questions, but the more she asked, the more tense I got. 
You see, Sonia had been raised to have every I dotted and every T crossed. In her household, growing up, there was a backup lighting system, which doesn't sound like much today because we have load shedding and all these things, but without giving her age away one or two decades ago, um, that was like unheard of. But this really got to me. There was a backup for the backup. So if the backup lighting system didn't work, there was another backup lighting system for the whole house. In Sonia's house, there was always extra toothpaste, extra toilet rolls, extra deodorant, extra tin food, extra long-life milk, extra bottled water, just about anything extra that you can think of, because she had been raised to prepare for absolutely any situation, okay? But myself, on the other hand, my upbringing was a little bit different. Um, We moved a lot. Um, We couldn't plan ahead because we never knew where our next meal was coming from. We literally lived one day at a time, one meal at a time. We couldn't plan ahead because we didn't have anything to plan with. (laughs) So, So if I could summarize my approach to life, it will be We'll just wing it as we go along. We'll just wing it, man. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. We'll make a plan. We will survive. Don't worry. We'll survive. In fact, even today, my brother and I, we have this kind of saying that when we travel, as long as I've got my passport and my credit card, I'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll wing it, man. Don't worry. We'll be fine. So, um, can you imagine? We have Mrs. Wants to plan for everything, okay? Married to Mr. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. So you can imagine, needless to say, we landed in Cape Town, I had no directions. (laughs) We ended up on the other side of Cape Town, and when I eventually put my male pride in my pocket and asked for directions, as you know, the wonderful Cape Townian, I love those people, you can spend hours with them, and I asked the guy where we need to be at this particular hotel, he said, what? They will die us. I can't die. I can't die. A clean copy. Most a great copy, most a clean copy from how far we were. You, bottom line is you must, you must, you're like 100 k's away from where you needed to be. So it was a very tense ride back to the hotel. <laughs> we get to the hotel, and the reservation is not in our name. <laughs> Sonia wanted to burst into tears. I just burst out laughing. I thought, this is hilarious. Now, now, why do I share that story? See, I share that story because if, if that affected how Sonia and I went on holiday, how much more do our upbringings affect our everyday lives? How much more do the stuff that we've been exposed to over the year affect our core beliefs about who we are? Like some examples are or, uh, how we view the world, okay? Maybe uh, you could think everyone is out to get you because you've been hurt in the past. So maybe you think everyone's got it in for you and that's how you view the world, with, with suspicion, with you check people out because you've been hurt in the past. Or what about how we think people view us? Maybe you grew up in a home where everyone spoke down on you. Maybe you had terrible things spoken of. You're a burden. I wish you were never born. You've ruined my life. And now you're growing up with this thing over you, thinking that's how everybody sees you. What about... Maybe you had a hard father who nothing you ever did was good enough. You constantly felt that in order to be accepted, you had to be doing something. So you're on this thing of earning, trying to earn uh, you try to earn your, your hard father's approval, and now you've brought that into how you relate to God. And you think God is like that. And you can't just be a son or a daughter and loved for who you are, because that's what you've been exposed to. What about how you build, form, and maintain relationships? Maybe you've had trust issues. Maybe you can't keep friends, or you, you hurt people without even realizing it because you've been so hurt, and that you just begin to hurt people. Maybe you've picked up some bad habits that you think are normal. Violence, fits of rage, Anger, lying, cynicism, gossiping. See, our past has an influence on who we are, whether we believe it or not. 
So at this point now, I can imagine some of you are probably thinking, what on earth is this oak going on about? This is a jolly church, Nochal. What is he going on about? And I want to say, I thought exactly like that. I thought the past is the past. Forget about it. Let's look to the future. Forget about the past. But you know what the reality is? Sometimes our past is so ingrained in who we are that we simply cannot just move on. And it's jolly hard. And we need um, something else. To, to get us moving on. Um, and I can honestly say now, I'm a convert. I'm a total convert of the subject because we've been going through it as an eldership team, as a, as a marriage, I mean, as a marriage, sorry, as a married couple, just working through stuff. And I'm a convert because I've gone back to go forward because I understand why I am like I am now, but more importantly, I understand where I'm going. And that's really what I want to get across this morning. So let's, and, and you know what happens? Sorry. Mm, when, when we go back into our past, we see a pattern of generational consequences that if not identified and changed, we're destined to repeat. Anyone heard of George Santiana? He once said, those who refuse to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Okay, I'll give you some scripture to back this up. The foundational scripture that I want to work through this morning is Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, and then we're going to see how this scripture actually worked itself out in, in Abraham's life. So if you've got your Bibles, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, if you don't, don't stress, it will come up on the screen, but I will serenade you with the scripture if you want to hear my voice. <laughs> so this is Moses, and he wanted, to see, um, he wanted to see God, and God hit him in a rock, hit him in a cleft, and then God is about to walk past, and he's about to reveal himself to him, and uh, this is what um, God says. He says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. And forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, when I heard this, I thought, yo, yo, yo. That's a bit harsh. I mean, that's a bit harsh. Punishing innocent children. I mean, that doesn't sound like a a loving God doing that. Now, that's not what it means. At face value, it's not What it means because the original meaning in the Hebrew is a little difficult to translate. And I'm no Hebrew scholar and I'm not professing to be one. But there's different layers of meaning. In fact, the one thing that the one study that I said, that word third and fourth generation, that generation actually doesn't appear there. But they put it there to try to make sense of it. So bear that in mind as I carry on. So the first layer is that sin or poor decision has consequence for children and children. For children and children's children. Your grandchildren will get there. And this makes sense because if you think of just practical decisions that we make, affect generations to come. You see, the opening line, the opening line of this passage can be translated, the consequences of the sins or decisions of the parents are passed down to the children. God does not punish us. He does not impose curses on us because Jesus has borne our curse and our punishment for us. And I'll get into more detail later. I just want to clarify this meaning here. But this is the reality. Is the dwarf or even the wise decisions that we make are not just going to affect our lives, but they're going to affect the generations that come after us. So let's think of some practical examples. What about the way we handle money? See, if I'm consumed with what people think about me, and I want to project this image that, ooh, check at me, new car, new cell phone, new whatever, clothes, whatever. I want to project this image, even though I can't afford it, but I'm just consumed about what people think about me. What do you think my kids are going to do? I'm going to become their reference point for them. And if, if, if we're constantly trying to keep up with the Joneses, 
Or I try to think of a South African celebrity. Can you take, would you mind just like taking that away, please? Sorry. <laughs> um, like if we're just trying to keep up with like the Kenny Kunenes of this world, trying to be all cool and hip, I, our kids are going to, pr- they're going to repeat that. They, they're keeping up with, because that's your reference point. Let's, let's take it up a level. What about if I'm not faithful to my wife? If I treat Sonia terribly, both verbally and physically, disrespect her, just treat her like I shouldn't treat her. Chances are extremely highly that Jack will treat his wife, Jack is my son, my father to about to be six-year-old son, that he will treat his wife like that. Or Holly, my daughter, my seven-year-old daughter, she'll marry someone who treats her like I treat Sonia. Can you see this thing of generational patterns being passed down from one to the other? And the second layer is that sin runs in the family. Now, it's almost in your genetic code because none of us start off with a clean slate. We're all born into a broken history because of the sin that is over the world. We're all born, no matter how perfect your family may seem on the outside, you scratch a little bit behind there, we've all got stuff. eh? We've all got these hojos in the closet. We've all got these skeletons in the closet. We're all born into something broken, something sinful. And we can see this by the language that we use today. Think of this. We're in the most hyper-individualistic society of all time. It's all about the individual nowadays. In fact, sociologists or whatever say they would never before ever been so consumed with self. And they recorded history of mankind. So in that context, we have sayings like this. Like father, like son. Like mother, like daughter. The apple doesn't fall. Check out these sayings of things that are just getting repeated and repeated and repeated. See, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa is in your bones. I love that line. And there's some studies on this called epigenetics, which sounds really fancy, but epigenetics is effectively how the experiences of previous generations can affect who we are today. Some really clever scientists have done some studies on on the survivors of World War II concentration camps, and they found that there was a stress hormone in their DNA. You can imagine. You're exposed to that horrific stuff that happened there. There's a stress hormone that appeared in the survivor's DNA. But then they did the study even further. They looked at their children. And you know what happened? That stress hormone was in that DNA. Guys that hadn't been exposed to the concentration camp had the stress hormone in there. So they thought, let's continue with this. Let's look at the grandchildren. And that stress hormone was in the grandchildren. And then great, grand, like, so now generations down the line have the stress hormone, epigenetics. There is something inside of us that gets repeated. So by now, you're probably wanting some scripture to back this up. (laughs) So let's look at Abraham's life, okay? Abraham, you might have heard the saying, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there was Abraham, then he had Isaac, he had Jacob, and he had Joseph. Okay, so let's look at these lives. Now, remember, these guys were numzans in the faith. I mean, these guys were heroes. They weren't these hedonistic, I think Philistines were the bad ones. These guys, these 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 are like heroes of the faith, okay? These are good guys. Um, yet, there were unhelpful patterns in their life. The first pattern that I want to show you that got passed down in Abraham's lineage was that of lying. Okay, I promise you I can give you the scriptures to back this up, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to shoot through it. Abraham lied about Sarah not being his wife. Abimelech, he wanted to, he thought, no, she's too beautiful. They're going to kill him to take her. So I'll just say, she's not my wife. He lied. Okay. Lo and behold, he had a son called Isaac. Who does Isaac lie to? Abimelech. What does he lie about? His wife. <laughs> no, no, no. She's not my wife. She's not my wife. Trying to protect himself. Jacob 
as um, Grant said last week, means deceiver. I'm holding a little baby thing. I'll call him deceiver. Um, Jacob deceived just about everyone, and that continues today, but we won't go there. Um, there Jacob, Jacob had 10 children. He had 10 children that, you know, we know the story, they um, sold Joseph into slavery, but said that he was murdered. So these 10 guys all lied. Can you see the pattern? Just repeat, what about favoritism? And at least each generation, Abraham favored Ishmael, Isaac favored Esau, Jacob favored Joseph, and then later Benjamin. Relationship fractures. Um, guys cut off from each other. Isaac and Ishmael cut off from each other. Jacob ran away from his brother Esau after stealing the best thing. Joseph was cut off from his ten brothers. You see relationship fractures. Can you see they repeat the same mistakes? Can you see how the circumstances, or the families in we grew up with, are the biggest influences of who we are later in life? You see, our family of origin imparts something inside of us. Um, sorry. Mm. Now, a lot of what I've said is a bit of doom and gloom, eh? Not a very uplifting message. <laughs> but that's all about to change. <laughs> because this is the part where I get excited. I haven't really done my aerobics workout this morning, but I'm going to start now. So, before I continue, I just want to clarify something. I don't believe, because often what happens after discussions like this, people think, oh, I'm cursed. No, I don't believe that as a Christian, filled with the Holy Spirit, we can be cursed. In Mark 3.25, when Jesus was accused of casting out demons using evil power, he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And basically what he's saying is it's like you're trying to mix water and oil, polar and non-polar for the scientists there. That's the only thing I remember from school, chemistry. But they don't mix. They don't go together. So I don't believe that as a Christian, we can be cursed. And I'll tell you why. Because in Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He bore our curse. Completely, he bore our curse. And that means that when we're in Jesus, when we've crossed the line of faith, Jesus took our place. He was cursed for us. Every curse that, should have, that could have been put on us was put on Jesus that we can go free. So he took our place. He bore. God will not curse us and Jesus. It would be double jeopardy. It would be paying for the same thing twice. Paying for the same crime. He's not going to do that. He's a just God. In fact, if I think of an analogy, say I want to buy a phone or something. Do you have a phone there? Um, say I want to buy this bottle of water. Okay, so we go to Bread Mill and we buy this bottle of water, whatever, 10 rand. We give the oak 10 rand. And next, a week later, I'm in the shop and the guy says, hey, hey you've got to pay for that water. He said, no, I paid for it. I paid for it. Said, no, 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 you've got to pay for it again. He says, no, 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 I've paid in full. Last time when I paid for it, it was paid in full. I don't need to pay again. And that's exactly what it's like when Jesus was on the cross. The punishment that, 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 that was meant to be placed on us was placed on Jesus. And there's no more punishment left. There's no more curses left because we are now in Christ. I'll come, I'll come back to that later. I've got a really cool analogy there. But there is such a thing as generational consequences. There are generational consequences that get passed down, but not generational curses. So we need to differentiate between generational consequences and generational curses. Doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. No ways. <laughs> We're going to fight. We've got to fight those influences on our lives. Um, but, 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 now this is huge. We don't have to repeat the same mistakes of the generations that have gone before us. We don't need to do that. There is a hope. And this is where I get excited. If we go back to that scripture in Exodus 34, thanks, Travis. Um, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, maintaining love, to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, to thousands, but punishing to the third and fourth. 
Now, notice how there is compassion and grace, slow to anger, abounding in love to thousands, but there's only justice to the third and fourth. But you know what happens? Is our 21st century human rights defaulted mindset says, how can you punish the third and fourth? And we just gloss over the compassion and the love and the kindness to the thousands, to the thousands, to the thousands. You know, there is far more grace and mercy in God because the justice and the punishment has already been placed on Jesus. There is far more grace than what there is because the, the, the justice has been completed in Jesus. It was a perfect, perfect, perfect sacrifice. There is no punishment left. There is only mercy when we are in Christ Jesus. There is no punishment left. There is only mercy. Like sometimes some people think, uh, I must be doing something wrong. God is punishing me. No, he does not punish. The punishment has all been placed on Jesus. And we, God does not punish. We live in a fallen world. Yes, there are going to be consequences. But God does not punish us. Can't hope I'm getting that point across. You see, you know what this verse speaks of? It actually speaks of, a, of the posture of a loving father. And he says, come receive mercy. He says, come, come, I've got so much mercy. You may come from a, a messed up lineage. And if we're honest, we all do. We all come from that. But God is saying that he has mercy for you. He's saying that there is compassion, there's grace, there's forgiveness to be found in him. All of which far exceeds his punishment, far exceeds it. He is greater than your yesterday. I love that line. He's greater than your yesterday. Can I ask you to grab that distance? Sorry, love, can you grab that thing, please? Um, think of it like this. Have you all seen that scale? Lady Justice, you know, she's holding that scale, okay? And, they, um, and they're trying to, trying to like weigh up the justice and the scale and that. And, and think of it like this. Think of um, this scripture here. I'm going to use it to illustrate a point. I uh, hope this works. Please don't mess. Please don't mess. But in here... I messed this all over the lounge last night. It wasn't a happy wife because she told me not to do this. But this represents God's mercy. There's 2,000 marbles in here. So think of it like this. To go with... Please work. Okay. Think of it like this. There are... This is balancing. I'm going to take this down now. This is his mercy. 2,000. Thousands of marbles in here. And then his justice to the third and fourth. His mercy goes so much deeper, so much deeper. You see, as far back and as deep as you can go, God has mercy for your life. He has mercy. <laughs> he can redeem it. He can restore. He can make it new. He can heal it. He can use it. The scale is completely biased. Look at this thing. These little things, I have no chance of outbalancing that. No chance because there is so much love. There is so much mercy. Yeah, I just want to pour this thing over just to illustrate a point. But mm, there is mercy. There's kindness. Abounding in love. Slow to anger. Faithfulness. His grace outlasts his wrath. Thousands and thousands. I don't even. Th I think thousand was the biggest number they had back then. If they had billions and zillions and quadrillions, they would have put that in the scripture. But you get the point. So much more. I'm going to put this down before I get in trouble. Uh, so much more. I love that picture. I love that example. It doesn't move. No matter how many little things I put on here, this thing was not going anywhere because there is so much love and compassion and kindness in Jesus. I want to say to you today that God can redeem and forgive all of your past. Everything, no matter what you've done, his grace and mercy goes deeper than the deepest, 
darkest sin you have ever committed. He is greater than your yesterday. He's greater than your yesterday. So you might be saying, Shane, you don't understand. I've done, yes, I probably don't understand. And I probably don't understand what you come from. And I probably don't understand what you've been through. And I'm sorry that I don't understand. But I do know a God who understands. And we can cry out to him. And he can relate to us. And he can redeem. And he can heal. And he can, and he can begin a process of redemption. And that's exactly what this Christian faith is about. It is a process. I'm not into this theology where we get up here, we say a prayer, and everything's sorted. And I'm all new, and a hip and a skin, and we never have a struggle again. That's absolute nonsense. It's a journey. It's a process. This being transformed. This growing God. It's not like a... So, look, still it works for some people, but I very seldom see it working. Um, we have to fight those generational influences. I'll give you a... I'll give you an example here. So we, as the leaders in the church, want to be the lead repenters in the church. I don't know if you've heard Grant or Brendan say that. We want to create a culture where we can be real and honest about our struggles. We never, ever want it to be said that the leaders don't have any struggles or challenges or they can't relate to me because their lives are perfect. So the purpose of me sharing this example is that we're all broken, Every single one of us are broken, and every single one of us are in need of God's redeeming, gracious, gracious hand on our lives. So for me, let's talk about my family. And I've run this through my mother, and she's uh, approved of me sharing this. <laughs> so, mm, sorry, I didn't run by my aunt, but I'm sure you would as well. <laughs> so for me, I come from, from a family of divorce. My parents are divorced, my parents' parents, my great-parents multiple marriages from both sides. Unfortunately, I don't know more than my great-grandparents because my dad was adopted and my mother's father was murdered. So I can't research more than that. But the history that I do have paints a picture. Marital unfaithfulness, multiple marriages, multiple divorces, affairs, instability, abusive relationships, physically and verbally, in fact, my mother told me this this week. My grandmother was jailed for bigamy because she was married to more than one person at the same time, which was illegal back then. So for me, I have to guard my marriage to Sonia. I'll tell you why. Just this is much easier sharing this when you're just preparing. I have something inside of me that loves to flirt. You may not know that about me. It's built on insecurity and wanting people to like me. All through my life, I've loved a challenge. I have. Tell me I can't do something, and I'll, I'll prove you wrong. Um, I love a challenge, and it's been a huge challenge for me to get people to like me. And if I must really be vulnerable, most of my life, I've loved the challenge of getting ladies to like me. And then I got married. And for years, we had a pretty good marriage. We had ups and downs like most married people do. And then I went away on a business trip. And uh, it was an incentive. Sonia was pregnant with Jack. She was highly pregnant, so she couldn't come with. Um, and I didn't know many people on this trip. The average age was 60, so I was like a, like, really like a fish out of water with these. I was just out of place. A little bit lonely. And what happened was um, one of the nights, uh, a lady who was in our group started talking to me. And uh, something inside of me loved this. <laughs> it took me back to my hooligan days. And I thought, game on, boy. Challenge time. And uh, you know what it was like? It was like a dead body that had been dead for years, 
suddenly came out of the coffin. I thought, what, <laughs> what is this? Um, and if I must be honest, I came very close to cheating on Sonia on that trip. She knows about it, the elders know about it, the leaders know about it, it's out in the open. There was nothing physical that happened, but there were conversations and flirting that shouldn't have happened, which I'm, as you can see, I'm, very, I'm not proud of. But you know what it was? I don't share that story just to bring a few tears. I share it because I've identified something in my past that if I'm not careful, I can repeat. If I'm not careful, I know what my natural bend is. It's towards that stuff, and I will avoid it like the plague. Um, What's your natural bend towards? What's your natural bend? What do you need to fight? Something that you might have learned from your past. See, I'm proud to say I've been faithful to Sonia. 14 years we've been together for, been faithful, and through God's redeeming mercy and grace, I hope to stay married to her till I die. But if I'm honest, I can't do it on my own strength. I can't. I need a God. I need to go to God and say, Lord, <laughs> help me. Help me, help me. Even to this day, and every time uh, it's difficult because I have female clients and sometimes they like to flirt or whatever, and everything inside of me wants to, uh, uh, like you're torn between these two things. And actually, no. And I say to Sonia, listen, this is what happened. Boom, boom, boom. We have access to our phones. We, we don't hide anything. But I've got to watch that thing. I've got to, I need to say, Lord, please help me. You know what's in my DNA, but this is key. I want to be led by you, Jesus, not my DNA. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life, not my DNA. I don't want to be tossed around by every little desire that comes through to who I am. And I want to say, Lord, please show me the grace that you have for me. It's so much bigger than what I have for me. Help me, redeem me, but most importantly, give me a soft heart and transform me, Lord. That's my prayer, that I'll be transformed. I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to repeat the same mistakes. But what about you? As I've been speaking, maybe you're thinking, back thinking, what do I need to be careful about repeating? What unhelpful habits have I picked up? What's your past telling you today? What lies have you believed about who you are? Okay? And where does God want to bring His redeeming grace and His love into your life? Maybe you feel you have no control over your life. Maybe you feel you're just letting life take you wherever it may be. You're given to your struggles and you, you, you have this classic line which I hate. It says, that's just the way I am. No, it's not the way you are. God wants to redeem that, and he wants to make you new, which I'll come to now. <laughs> Maybe you've made some really bad decisions, and you feel disqualified to receive God's mercy. Please, please, please don't ever fall for that nonsense. If ever you feel disqualified, think of this thing here. This is like our sin, which is huge. Our sin is huge, but his grace and his mercy is so much bigger. None of us will ever qualify on our own. Every single one of us are disqualified. I'm disqualified. Everyone is disqualified um, bar for the fact that we are in Jesus. That is our qualification. That is the basis for which we approach what Jesus, uh, uh, for which we approach God, is what he has done for us on the cross. Some of you may say, Shane, I'm in the middle of something I'm totally ashamed of, and I've really made some poor decisions. I want to say to you that God will never write you off. It is never too late to begin that journey of restoration. Never, ever, ever too late. He never writes anyone off, and there is hope for everyone. There is hope in Jesus. He's a redeeming God. He can change lineages. Even if your past has, has, has caught up with you and you've made some poor decisions, but you don't want it to go to your kids, God can even use that. God can even use your experiences to pass on to your kids that it can stop with your kids. 
Nothing is in vain. Nothing is in vain. God can use everything in our lives. See, I love this, I love this analogy because it speaks thousands and billions and trillions, speaks of so much hope, so much hope in God that we, don't, we can break free from these generational consequences and we don't need to be victims of our past. And this topic is so huge. I mean, for me to do it in 30 minutes, I'm probably not doing it justice. And, I, uh, and please forgive me for that. We could spend a whole year on this, but I'd love for us to just get, leave here this morning thinking some questions, some tough questions. If you have to look back on your family of origin, an environment that you've grown up in, are there any patterns that need redeeming in there? Is there something that you need to apply God's grace to? And I, I want to just say something here. Just because your sin might be a little bit more socially acceptable than mine, doesn't make it any worse. Just because maybe you don't struggle with having an affair, or you don't struggle with flirting, or you don't struggle with, with whatever, <laughs> doesn't make it any different. Maybe you are independent. You just make your own decisions. No authority. You don't want to submit your life to anyone. You just make the shots and you live like you want to. Or maybe... What about uh, how you deal with conflict, like we spoke about a few weeks ago? Maybe you just give the silence treatment, and there's no reconciliation in you whatsoever. There's no reaching out for reconciliation. We're all called to be that. In Corinthians, it says we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. So maybe that's you. Maybe you give people the silent treatment. You just keep quiet, and you ignore, because that's all you've ever known. That's how your family dealt with conflict. Maybe you have this, this thing of unforgiveness, and anger, and violence, fits of rage, bitterness, laziness, because maybe that's the family from which you come, and that's what you think is normal. But I want to say to you this morning, God wants to redeem that stuff. And he wants to bring his grace, and he wants to pour his love into those situations, that we can start a new lineage of thousands and thousands of grace. But what about you have this victim mentality? Oh, I'm always a victim. I'm always a victim. Always accept no personal responsibility. Always blaming. Always blaming everybody else for things that have happened in your life. Maybe you have this victim mentality. Where does God want to start a process of redemption in your life today? See, the purpose of this message is not in any way for us to be angry or resentful to our parents or those who raised us. We need to forgive them. That's really how this process starts, is, in, is with forgiveness. But the purpose is for us to begin to look back, see what trends we could potentially be repeating, and and go to God and ask Him to redeem those situations and to transform us into more of Jesus. Please, please, please. God does not just want to save your life. He wants to transform your life. Don't ever fall for this thing of, I've, I've crossed the line of faith and now I just sit back and I cruise and I do whatever. No, that is not true Christianity. True Christianity is wanting to be more like Jesus, wanting to be more transformed into who He is. Can we, can we come to God and ask Him to redeem, to heal, excuse me, to restore, to make new? Will you allow Him to transform you? He can be trusted. He's a loving Father. It's the best hands you could ever put your life in is this incredible God. Because if it were up to me and I ran my life like I wanted to, I probably wouldn't be married today. And I would, I would just, I would, um, yeah, anyway, <laughs> yeah. Let's leave it at that. So God just doesn't want to save your life. He wants to transform your life. He doesn't want to make you a better person. He's not into behavior modification, but he's into a whole new person. He wants to redeem you, give you hope, and give you a future. Can we stand? I'll just end, I'll just end with a story, which really, uh, actually it's not in my notes, but while preparing for this morning, I, uh, 
was having Wimpy at Davenport there, and uh, was it Davenport? Yeah. And there was a there was a, a, a guy that I went to school with that was having breakfast with his with his other half with his girlfriend, and um, I went up to him because I was a, he was one of the guys I used to bully in school. I was a bully in school. I nearly got expelled for fighting. Uh, they wanted to kick me out of school. Um, just once again, insecure, blahdy blahdy blah. And and I went up to him and I said, I'll just call him James. It's not his name, but I said, James, uh, I just want to say, I'm really sorry for the way I treated you. Um, such else. I'm just, I'm just sorry. And he said, yes, you know, I heard a good couple years ago that from another bully that I apologize to. I've got lots of apologizing today. <laughs> uh, he said, yeah, you like, you like a Christian now, and you're like, you're totally different. And I thought, I, and please, it's not to draw attention to me. I'm cheap as you can see. I've had all my dirty laundry. But I thought, praise God that He transforms lives. Thank you that He can take a messed up, insecure, bully, whatever, and transform him into like a still insecure, but I'm not a bully anymore. <laughs> but I promise you, if you surrender to Him, there is hope for you. He can heal, He can redeem. He can change your life if you surrender to Him. He's an incredible God. And can I encourage you to give Him your all? That stuff that we think is so dear, that is so important, that He's telling us to hold on to, I promise you will end up destroying your life. Let it go. Trust Him. Can we worship Him? Can we sing a song? Can we worship Him?